Well, it looks like we really did blow up Russia's Nord Stream pipeline. Wow. Biden's handlers must really want us to go to war with a nuclear power Russia. It's insane. Also, we're going to be speaking with a guest today who tells us what to do to fight inflation in this crazy world on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 340 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday, February 9th, 2023. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented an unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com. Click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports with my friend Donnie Copeland. It drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Okay, coming up at a few, we're going to tell you exactly how the Biden regime blew up Russia's pipeline, the Nord Stream 2. And when you hear it, you'll be amazed at how badly they seem to want to go to war with another nuclear power. It makes no sense. But first, I'm delighted to announce my upcoming interview with General Michael Flynn coming up Tuesday, February 14th at noon central. And today's guest is General Flynn's gold buyer of choice, Andrew Sorcini of Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Mr. Sorcini, how are you today? Hey there, Doc. I'm great. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You know, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the Biden regime seems intent on leading us into great turbulence. How does this kind of recklessness affect the gold and silver market? It's affecting us in a way that's completely unprecedented. I've, um, I've been at this since 1985, and um, the, um, the amount of people that we have calling and emailing and texting and reaching out to us in every way possible greatly exceeds the 2008 financial crisis. So it's, uh, it's truly unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, if for a long time there was this uh... – Mad doctrine, mutually assured destruction. You know, uh, the, the the countries that have nukes had to kind of figure out a way to avoid getting into any kind of a hot war with each other. And I think people are like, well, you know, it looks like we're in uncharted territory here. Um, and, and people really don't know how that would affect financial markets. So I guess precious metals, gold, silver, that kind of thing are something that people are go- going, well... Maybe I, to, maybe I ought to check into this because we don't really know where we're going. We're in unprecedented times, right? Absolutely. Um, we're coming off of a, a 13-year bull market in stocks where um, virtually 
anybody that puts a retirement account in uh, in uh, those type of holdings, stocks, mutual funds, or ETFs, um, they did very well. They're up 50 to 100% or even more. And, um, and they don't want to lose that. And right now they're just um, losing faith in the current, uh, the current uh, um, environment with our uh, current president, and, and they're scared. So the biggest thing right now is preservation of capital and not actually making money with their investments. Yeah, you just want to kind of hang on to what you got, um, strengthen the things which remain. You know, what are our two major adversaries, Russia and China, doing with gold reserves themselves, and why are their actions uh, of interest or significant to Americans? Well, those are two of the countries that are part of the BRICS nations, and I'm not sure if that's something that you typically cover, but um, that's Brazil, Russia, India, um, China, and, uh, and, and um, now Saudi Arabia. And these, com- these countries have all banded together to go against us. Um, you talked earlier about, um, about war. I believe that we're in a war right now. It's a financial war. And they've all banded against the United States. And I believe that that's what's, uh, what's happening in Ukraine. It's, it was all the first step in this process is to topple the dollar and make the dollar no longer be the world's reserve currency. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of leads into dovetails with my next question. We often hear, and we have mentioned the the the, the BRICS group before, but but not very often. Uh, we we don't do you know financial stuff real often on the Doc Washburn Show, which is why uh, today is such a blessing for me to be able to talk to you. We often hear that there is a move to deplatform the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency now. Uh, for people who don't know much about this sort of thing, what does it mean that our dollar is and has been for a long, long time the reserve currency for the world, and how would it affect our economy and people's personal finances if that were no longer the case? Well, the, most of the countries out there have been trading in the dollar as their uh, primary means of, of uh paying for things yeah. from, from one country to another. And um, oil has, uh, has almost always been traded in the U.S. dollar and they're, um, or the petrodollar. And they're, they're actually cutting us out of it. And it all started with uh, China about 10 years ago. China was not one of the world's reserve currencies. And it's really hard to believe that that's true, but it is, that, um, that – the world reserve currencies were other big countries with the United States being right on the top as the world reserve currency. And um, so for the last 10 years, China has been struggling to, uh, to legitimize their, their yuan to uh, eventually have it replace the U.S. dollar as the primary means of paying for things anywhere in the world. So they've not been too successful at it, and now they've um, – They've, um, they've partnered up with Russia, and uh, now even Saudi Arabia is is allowing people to pay for oil with their own country's currency. And th- this is the first time in a very long time that that's been able to happen. So if they're losing faith in the dollar, it it will it will eventually send a ripple effect, which is coming to us here in the United States, which. Our dollars never, it's not been backed by anything since uh, the early 70s. It's just a worthless paper that we all agree has value. 
And um, as long as that confidence continues to subside, we're, we're in some big trouble here. And we've, if we don't fight back, Russia and China will have the world's reserve currency. Yeah, so that, that, that's a good explanation. World's reserve currency is, is how um, concerns of, of different countries agree to internationally pay for things, and that's been the dollar for a long time. But you make a very good point. When President Nixon, uh, I guess, took us off the gold standard, uh, we still said, well, you know, the dollar's backed by the full faith and credit of the American government. And when you get to the point where you're $31 trillion in debt, people are like, yeah, I don't know about the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. The, the, you know, the, the, the whole thing looks like a house of cards. And in the meantime, if indeed, if indeed the dollar is supplanted as a world's reserve currency, which certainly seems to be the trend, as you're explaining here, is that going to send gold prices up even further? It absolutely will, because gold is the entire world's currency of choice. Yeah. It really is. It's, um, I can take the gold that I have, and I can travel to any country in the world and be able to purchase goods and services with it, but I can't with the dollar. I just got back from uh, traveling to several different countries in December and early January, and um, when, I was in, uh, when I was in Singapore, for example, they don't want to take the dollar anywhere there. It's um, even Dubai. Uh, pl- most places will not take the dollar. Wow. You want to exchange your dollar. You go to your hotel and you exchange it to for the local currency or to one of the cash exchange places. But it's um, that seems to be a trend uh, for people out there that travel. Like you know, anywhere you go, the dollar is king. But uh, that's quickly changing, and uh, I I think it's important that people diversify with gold as a portfolio insurance to help protect themselves against inflation and the devaluation of the dollar. Absolutely. We're speaking with Andrew Sorcini of Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Uh, it's easy to find him just doing an internet search, whether you use DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever. You type in Beverly Hills Precious Metals, and the, the website comes right up. I would recommend my listeners also, though, do an internet search for the words Temporary restraining order and freeze assets. Mr. Sorcini, those are five really scary words for people who are impacted by them, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, um, that's something that can happen to anybody at any given time because um, ultimately the government has the power to do whatever they want anytime they want. Yeah, and... Of course, we, we look at the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and uh, unreasonable search and seizure, and it looks like it would be a slam dunk if a case were ever to get to the U.S. Supreme Court for, uh, you know, a, a majority, 5-4, something like that, to go, now, wait a minute, you know, you're violating the U.S. Constitution. But the problem is that who's going to be able to do this if his or her assets have been seized by the government, how are you going to pay your lawyer to go through all the uh, appeals courts and everything to get up to the U.S. Supreme Court and say, um, with all due respect, uh, you know, Supreme Court justice, the, the federal government is violating my constitutional rights. I, I mean, it's unconstitutional, I, I believe, what the U.S. government's doing. I'm not a lawyer, but I don't see how the case gets to the U.S. Supreme Court because you know, this this um, temporary restraining order to freeze assets, they don't tend to do it, 
to people like Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Carlos Slim, people with the means to have high-powered attorneys to get to the, the U.S. Supreme Court. So people are really stuck, right? Yeah, it's just another example of the big guy uh, crushing the little guy. Yeah. And, um, and it's um, when, when they try to do it with Elon Musk, he's just like, okay, great, then uh, we go to war. Like when he made the comments about um, – about uh, maybe taking uh, taking Tesla private a few years ago, and um, and that it sent his stock into a tizzy, and uh, he ended up getting uh, charged by the SEC and fined, and he paid the fine. But uh, for for most people, it would put him out of business. Yeah, and people often have no notice when their assets are seized. Now, there was a story in the news a while back of the FBI seizing the contents of a safety deposit box business in Southern California, your neck of the woods, Beverly Hill, I'll, Beverly Hills. I'll never forget this quote from September 2021. But six months after the raid, the FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles have produced no evidence of criminal wrongdoing by the vast majority of box holders whose belongings the government is trying to keep. So, in a situation like that, due process is out the window. Is the impression of an out-of-control government one of the reasons people are seriously considering precious metals as an alternative? It absolutely is. And uh, I know that story very, very well. So um, in uh, 2010 is when we, we moved our, our business into Beverly Hills. And around that same time, like literally a couple of months after we moved into Beverly Hills, the, the uh, business that you're speaking of opened up shop um, not too far from there. Yeah. And what it was was a, it was a storage facility where uh, you don't have to register. You don't sign up with a, with a name, email, phone number. All you do is you just walk in there. They do a retinal scan and a fingerprint, and um, that's how you access your box. That's it. No sign-up or anything. So um, I'm not even sure how they paid. But people would ask me about it all the time, and I would just tell them, like, Although that might be legal, it just sounds like if you store things there that it, you're just asking for trouble because um, people that uh, might be running an illicit business could store things there and, um, and there's no way to, uh, to trace it back to anybody. So that's why the FBI eventually did that, or at least that's how they were able to at some point uh, legally get that, that search warrant. But as you just said, they have now since uh, said that they haven't actually found anything that was illegal there, and um, and nothing will ever happen. And I can tell you another story. There's a coin that was minted in 1933. That was the year that FDR took us up. Um, he actually outlawed gold and and uh, made people take their gold into the bank and exchange it for paper currency. And um, they made one of those coins from 1933 that was given to a, a king in Egypt that was an avid uh, coin collector, and that's the only one legal to own. And uh, a company in New York that had five of them in their safe deposit box since 1933 um, saw, this, saw the sale of this king's coin recently for like $5 million, and they wanted to uh, authenticate the ones that they had. Yeah. Cutting to the end of the story, the government ended up saying, well, great, send them into us and we'll authenticate them. They did authenticate them and they said, great, they're real, we're keeping them. And to this day, the government still has them. Wow. And yeah, it's, so as of a few years ago, they were worth a total of $25 million. 
and uh, I'm sure they're worth double that now. So that's, those are just two different examples of the type of power that the government has that people are starting to realize now and that they want to protect themselves against those types of actions. So the same government that's trying to keep uh, the, the assets of people in this, you know, somewhat questionable, shady uh, safety deposit box uh, business, when, when, when the people are like, well, you know, just because some other guy might have been a drug dealer doesn't mean I am. Come on. You know, there are hundreds of people that were using this service. They're, if I understand you correctly, somebody want to authenticate their, their, their gold coins. The government's like, well, let us take a look at it. You know what? Sure enough. You're absolutely correct. They are authentic, and we're not giving them back. I mean, they're stealing millions, um, and, and it's just its really tough uh, to, you know, as Elon Musk would say, go to war and, and, and get it up to the U.S. Supreme Court and, you know, get, get a decision on that. And no wonder, no wonder people are looking for alternative means. Again, we're speaking with Andrew Sorcini of Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Uh, now, a lot of forward-thinking folks for several years now had thought that Bitcoin was the wave of the future for personal finance until November 2022 and the collapse of Sam Bankman-Fried's play toy called FTX and billions just disappearing overnight. Did the fallout from such a huge and well-known cryptocurrency concern once again, highlight precious metals as an attractive alternative. It absolutely did. You know, people often refer to Bitcoin as a store of value. And um, for me, a store of value, so my, my definition of a store of value is simply a place where you can park some money and that it's probably not going to gain value and it's probably not going to lose too much value, but you just park it there for when you need it next. And, um, and people call Bitcoin a store of value. To me, Bitcoin is the opposite of a store of value because Bitcoin can have 20% swings in a day in either direction, can and does have 20% swings in either direction. And um, that's, we don't want the American people or even the people of the world investing in products where they're going to keep you up at night. It's not worth it. Well, it does sound very volatile, and kind of I think the elephant in the room here is Bitcoin being something that is completely digital, if I understand correctly. Um, the concern is, what do the feds say? Ah, digital, huh? Online, huh? Yeah, we're going to take this. Um, and that's – I don't hear anybody talking about it, but it, given their standard operating procedure, it would not be – a surprise if you know if that imploded in, in in that way. Exactly. Um. None of the cryptocurrencies out there are private. And when you watch these movies and and um, you see these um, these deals that these um, drug dealers or kidnappers make, and they say, "Send me uh, one thousand Bitcoin," or they send me this. There's those are all recorded transactions. So there's there's no privacy with Bitcoin. But if you have physical gold and silver, and if you have the non-reportable type, there is privacy in that. And uh, even in the example that you just talked about, where somebody were to have their funds, uh, like a TRO, where their funds are, um, their accounts are frozen, if you have physical gold, that would be the only way that you'd be able to pay an attorney to be able to to, uh, get yourself out of that mess. 
unless you're Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or uh, or um, any of those any any billionaire. Yeah, and, and the billionaires, let's face it, you know, tend to have lobbyists and know how to uh, grease the wheels to keep things going somewhat smoothly. And again, uh, when uh, our guest mentioned TRO, temporary restraining order, um, and that kind of stuff can be just uh, devastating for folks of modest means. And you know, I think you made a good point too. People are are investing in in in, in gold and silver not because they think, hey, you know. Uh, if the economy gets bad, the price could go up. I could make a lot of money. Well, you know, if the economy gets bad, the price could go up. Um, it, it, it would tend to. But again, I think the main concern here is people saying, well, golly, I, I'm just trying to protect what I have. I just don't want, you know, my assets to go away through the, uh, the, the fickleness of the feds because, Given their standard operating procedure for many years now, you just never know what they're going to do. Exactly, and you may recall that when uh, when Obama first started his first term, he passed the um, Dodd Frank Act, and the Dodd Frank Act is um, is originally it was created to protect the American people from ever being taken advantage again, like they were by the big banks during the um, subprime loan period. Uh, portion leading up to the, uh, the financial crisis. Yeah. And um, so he was trying to come across as a hero and he passed this um, Dodd-Frank Act, which is very broad and everything that it covers. And one of the things that it covered initially was, and it got knocked out later was um, any, any transaction $600 or more would, um, would be reported via 1099. And uh, that's been reintroduced um, at least one other time since then. And one big thing that's in the Dodd-Frank Act is that with our bank deposits for all the American people, we, we're no longer depositors. When you go and deposit money in the bank, you're, you're, not, a, you're not a depositor. You, you've been changed to somebody who at that point is, um, you're not a depositor, but what you are, if they were to go bankrupt, they've set it up so that you're a creditor. And um, they could write off a portion or even all of your deposits, depending on how much trouble that they that they got into. And um, that's that's just something that they slid slid in there. I don't remember voting for anything like that. And um, they can have a bailout. They could reach into our our uh, savings and checkings accounts to uh, be able to pay off the uh, national debt. And that's something that um, the FDIC has has talked about. I even have a video of an FDIC meeting that uh, Clay Clark sent me where they're, they're discussing, members of the FDIC are discussing how they can implement this and how they can, uh, how they can control the backlash that that would create if it ever happened. It's wow. It's amazing stuff. And we interviewed Clay Clark uh, a while back, uh, uh, Clay Clark and General Michael Flynn, uh, uh, the Reclaiming America tour. Um, yeah, it is. It is a serious concern. And you, you know, as you said, they reinstituted recently the thing about you got to uh, report uh, <laughs> interactions of six hundred dollars or more, and, and all all of a sudden that that is uh, affecting um, waiters and waitresses. That is affecting people with gig economies, uh, like uh, you know Uber and Lyft drivers. It is, 
you know, when, when they're talking about 87,000 new IRS agents and the Biden regime is like, well, we, you know, we got to make sure those billionaires don't rip us off. But that's not who they're going after. They're going after the, um, the, the, the small, uh, investors and the people on, on modest means. And sometimes people are, you know, living paycheck by paycheck. And again, it would tend to make, uh, precious metals, uh, something that people would really, want to look into uh our guest today andrew sorcini of beverly hills uh precious metals um sir i, I tried to put together a bunch of um uh, good questions to to uh, give you a good platform here but what what am i missing what what is it that before we wrap this interview up you want to make sure that my listeners know well i think that people out there should consider using the investing into gold and silver as a, as portfolio insurance. Yeah. So uh, we've all done well with our stocks uh, over the past few years. If you own real estate, you've done very well over the past few years. And, um, and we've seen stocks, real estate and, and cryptocurrency start to subside. And the investments that I know about that can, that can counteract a down market are gold and silver, more likely gold. So, Gold can be used as an insurance policy against all of your other investments. When they're going down, gold will hold steady or go up in value. And um, it's the only insurance that I know about that um, that if 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 the worst doesn't happen, you get your premium back. And what I mean is, every year I have to pay my car insurance. If I don't crash my car over the co- course of the year, I don't get that back. I still have to pay my, my annual premium again the next year. Yeah. But with gold and silver, if you invest in it for portfolio insurance and nothing happens over the course of that year, you still have it. So it's when you make an investment into gold and silver, it's not like buying a sofa or uh, remodeling a room in your home. It's you can always turn it back into greenbacks if you find that you need the dollar. So it's not, it's not a permanent investment. So people should really consider it for that reason. Yeah, and and even if, um, God forbid, but it looks like it could happen, the, uh, the dollar is no longer the, the primary, um, you know, world reserve uh, uh, currency. The uh, other nations um, for, you know, many centuries have always recognized gold and silver. Exactly, for thousands of years. So... So yeah. for anybody out there that has what they feel is a significant amount of money to them in a checking or savings account, then, uh, then I'm right there with you. And I feel that un- uncomfortable feeling in the pit of my stomach when I think about all the bad things that could happen in the world that could make that go away. Yeah. So if you're like me and you just want to preserve what you've worked your whole life to be able to accumulate, then you can convert that a portion of it or all of it into gold. And uh, all they'd have to do is just reach out to us. We can have a, a conversation on exactly how they can receive it. We're not dealing in certificates here. This is physical gold and silver that is shipped uh, from us to you discreetly and insured via FedEx or UPS. And this happens all the time. As strange of a concept as it must sound like to the first timers out there, it happens every single day. When you see the FedEx and UPS trucks out there, the likelihood of there being a little bit of gold or silver on that truck at that moment is very high. So it, um, the transactions are not reported to the government. They're completely between you and us. And, uh, I would, 
I would very much recommend that people move forward with something like this or at least reach out to learn more about it as soon as possible and why you can. Yeah, find out. Uh, you know, Get the information. You'll know if it's right for you. Uh, the website uh, is, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, bh-pm.com, which basically you remember Beverly Hills dash precious metals bh uh, dash pm.com if you if you're driving while you're listening you can't remember that you can certainly remember to google beverly hills precious metals and it comes right up absolutely and there's a, a form that's right there on the front page um, underneath where it says uh, general flynn's gold buyer of choice you'll see the form that you can fill out put in your first name last name email address phone number and there's a, a portion there that says, how did you hear about us? Be sure to say uh, Doc Washburn. And right below that, there's a portion to put in a couple sentences about yourself. And uh, oftentimes people will say, I have a 401k or an IRA, and I would like to learn how to roll that over into an IRA that can hold gold and silver and have it, not, have it be a non-taxable event. So we help people with that every single day. And uh, it's something you should absolutely do because retirement accounts are down an average of 30% in the last 12 months. And uh, you can stop the bleeding by converting it into gold and silver. You can convert it back into stocks when things start to get better. Yeah, and the idea of legally avoiding uh, paying taxes is something that people hear that and they go, okay, wait a minute, that sounds pretty good. Also, I'm glad you pointed out we're talking about physical gold and silver. We're not talking about a piece of paper saying, well, you you own it and it's somewhere. No, no, no. You actually get the gold and silver. Um, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, the, most of the gold and silver assets that you can purchase out there aren't really assets. They're certificates and they're oversold. It's basically a, a, a legalized Ponzi scheme that the wow. government allows for Wall Street to uh, be involved in. Us as individuals could never do anything like that. We'd get thrown in jail. Yeah, and and, and rightly so. Andrew Sorcini, Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Uh, fascinating interview. Uh, I've learned a lot today, and I really appreciate you coming on the program. Uh, as we say here in the South, y'all come see us. Thanks so much, Doc. I appreciate it being here. I hope you can have me back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Love to. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, so I learned a lot. And I hope you did too. Again, that is Beverly Hills Precious Metals. If you can't remember the uh, the website, bh-pm.com, you can sure remember to do an Internet search for Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Okay, coming up, we got to talk about, we got to talk about the evidence that, you know what, we did actually blow up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, that is an act of war. Uh, it's very concerning, you know, uh, that, that, that Russia could uh, react in kind. That's coming right up. Look, I, I don't have to tell you, you, you know, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, 
van or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental U.S., RedRiverAuto.com. You will be glad you did. Now, the great Ronald Reagan said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. So, since we just talked to Andrew Sorcini, have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals. Here are five profound benefits of doing exactly that. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. As Mr. Sorcini said a few moments ago, that means precious metals are an asset commodity or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we are honored to join with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Michael Flynn, and we're glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. It's easy to remember. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just remember doing an internet search for Beverly Hills Precious Metals. And when you go online, let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Tell them Doc Washburn sent you. All right, now, Mike Lindell, he has rolled out something new, MyPillow 2.0. Have you heard about this yet? Brand new temperature regulating technology keeps you comfortable throughout the night with MyPillow 2.0. The new fabric dissipates heat and humidity 
to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. The new MyPillow 2.0 is developed to provide a cool surface and it's engineered for comfort. Because it's a fiber, not a finish, it will last the life of the fabric. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's got a knife-edge seam, no gusset, machine washable and dryable, 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Of course, made in the USA, MyPillow 2.0. And if you use the promo code DWS, you get two for the price of one. This is brand new. This is the first time I'm ever telling you about it. I haven't seen Mike talk about it yet on any of the other platforms like Fox News. So you're hearing this for the first time. My Pillow 2.0. This is brand new. Use the promo code DWS to get two for one. Now, of course, Mike also created the best bed sheets ever, the Giza Dreams sheets. And he's offering the best deal ever on the Giza Dreams bed sheets. Get a set of Giza sheets for as low as $29.98 just by using promo code DWS. Right now, set of pillowcases for only $9.98. In this economy, instead of buying a new bed, rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. My pillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer for as low as $29.98. Get huge discounts on duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Remember, use that promo code DWS. Get huge discounts on all my pillow bedding, including my pillow Giza Dream Sheets for just $29.98 and the My Slippers Moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. I'm wearing them right now. Save up to $90 on my slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins. Marked down to just $49.98 by using promo code DWS. MyPillow 2.0, available now, two for one, by using promo, promo code DWS. Now, remember, that promo code does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com and MyStore.com, where Mike's selling all kinds of other stuff. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS at MyPillow.com and MyStore.com. All right, let's take a look. This whole Nord Stream 2 thing. Now, before I get to Seymour Hirsch, 85 years old. He was a New York Times reporter for almost 50 years. But boy, the New York Times doesn't like him now. Before I get to this, let me remind you of what Joe Biden was saying. Matter of fact, a year ago today, here's Joe Biden. If Russia invades, uh, that means 
tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. We we will bring an end to it. But do, but how will you how will you do that? Exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. He promised. If Russia invades Ukraine, which is not a NATO country, we have no treaty with Ukraine. If Russia invades Ukraine, there will no longer be a Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Remember? A year ago today. And then we have Victoria Newland. Now, a lot more people know who Dementia Joe Biden is than know who Victoria Newland is. So let me give you her pedigree. She was U.S. ambassador to NATO, 06 to 08, under George W. Bush. She was spokesperson for U.S. State Department, 2011 to 2013, under Barack Obama. She was Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs 2013 to 2017 under Barack Obama. And now, Victoria Newland, Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs under Dementia Joe Biden. So a couple of weeks before Biden said what you just heard, Victoria Newland said this. Um, With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies, and I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. That sounds like a, a threat and a promise from Joe Biden and Victoria Nuland, Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs. So then, September 26, 2022, well, lo and behold, somebody blew up that Russian pipeline, the Nord Stream 2. But do do you remember what the story was, what the explanation was from the Biden regime? They said the Russians sabotaged their own oil pipeline, which, you know, brings them a lot of money. They're going to blow up their own pipeline. You remember that? Okay. Just in case, just in case your memory's a little bit hazy on that, here's Joe Biden four days later, September 30th, 2022, blaming Russia for blowing up their own pipeline. It was a a deliberate act of sabotage, and now the Russians are pumping out disinformation and lies. We're going to work with our allies to get to the bottom exactly what, precisely what happened. And as my direction, I've already begun to help our allies enhance the protection of this critical infrastructure. They must think we're awfully stupid. Now, I want to go to Seymour Hersh's reporting on this. And again, this guy's 85 years old. He was with the New York Times for almost 50 years. They're sure not happy with him now. But I just want to say this one thing before we get started on his reporting. 
If anybody tells you, well, this is based on an anonymous source, so why should we take this seriously? Let me go to what Tucker Carlson said recently. This thing is way, way too detailed, way too complex for Seymour Hirsch or anybody else to have been able to make this up out of thin air. When I share with you the details of Seymour Hersh's reporting, article entitled, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline, you're going to go, oh my goodness. We really did this as a country, didn't we? The people who are managing Joe Biden for some reason, really want us to go to war with a country that has a lot of nukes. Oh, my goodness. So, Seymour Hirsch over at Substack, article entitled, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline, subtitle, The New York Times Calls It a Mystery, but the United States executed a covert sea operation that was kept secret until now. And again, if you haven't heard about this, because Tucker talked about it on Fox, I don't know if anybody else did. I don't know if the talk radio shows you listen to are talking about it, because I'm not a normal person. I do show prep 24-7 to go get what's going on and share it with you. And every once in a while, I'm sitting here thinking, I'll bet you my listeners aren't hearing about this anywhere else. I bet you Fox News isn't talking about this. And, and more often than not, Tucker is the exception that proves the rule when it comes to Fox News. Or I'll bet the nationally syndicated talk radio shows or local talk radio shows my listeners listen to in the car, I bet they're not talking about this. It's my duty to share it with you. All right, here's what Seymour Hersh says. The U.S. Navy's Diving and Salvage Center can be found in a location as obscure as its name down what was once a country lane in rural Panama City a now-booming resort city in the southwestern panhandle of Florida, 70 miles south of the Alabama border. The center's complex is as nondescript as its location, a drab concrete post-World War II structure that has the look of a vocational high school on the west side of Chicago, a coin-operated laundromat, and a dance school are across what is now a four-lane road. Okay, I used to live in Panama City, Florida. I know exactly where the U.S. Navy's Diving and Salvage Center is. I've been there before. I'll tell you exactly where it is, in case you've ever been to the Panhandle of Florida. Now, the post office address may be Panama City, but it's actually Panama City Beach. You go across the Hathaway Bridge from Panama City to Panama City Beach. You take the first left you possibly can, go down Thomas Drive, Shortly thereafter, on the left, is the uh, 
the Naval Operations Center. They change the name every few years, but it's basically a small naval base in Panama City Beach, Florida, and that's where they have their diving and salvage center. They uh, train divers from all over the world. And um, when I used to do talk radio a few blocks away, a small mom-and-pop operation in Panama City Beach, Florida, 2001 to 2004, I actually had some of these guys from the Navy on my show to talk about what they did there. So I'm really familiar with what Seymour Hirsch is talking about here. I've been there before. But I digress. The center has been training highly skilled deep water divers for decades, fact check true, who once assigned to American military units worldwide are capable of technical diving to do the good using C4 explosives to clear harbors and beaches of debris and unexploded ordnance, as well as the bad, like blowing up foreign oil rigs, fouling intake valves for undersea power plants, destroying locks on crucial shipping canals. The Panama City Center, and again, it's Panama City Beach. Most people who haven't been there don't realize it's two different cities, but with just a bridge between them. But anyway, the Panama City Center, which boasts the second largest indoor pool in America, was the perfect place to recruit the best and most taciturn graduates of the diving school who successfully did last summer what they had been authorized to do, 260 feet under the surface of the Baltic Sea. Now, you know, if you're like me and you see the word taciturn, you're thinking, well, I've seen that word before. Don't know what it means, but I've certainly seen it before. Taciturn, habitually untalkative. Characterized by reserve or a lack of expression. Habitually silent, not given to converse, not apt to talk or speak. So these guys play close to the vest, in other words. They successfully did last summer what they had been authorized to do 260 feet under the surface of the Baltic Sea. Of course, the Baltic Sea is a body of water between Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and the rest of Europe below, Germany, Denmark, the Low Countries, Holland, Eastern Europe, the Baltic Sea. That's what goes between Scandinavia and the, and the rest of Europe below. Now, it's amazing. Last June, the Navy divers operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise known as Ball Tops 22. B-A-L-T-O-P-S. And, and, and he links, he links to the official Navy webpage for Ball Tops 22. They planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source, with direct knowledge of the operational planning. Okay, now right there, that's where people are going to go, ah, anonymous source. I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to know about it. Wait a minute. As Tucker Carlson said, 
There's way, 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 way too much detail in this thing. There's no way a skilled novelist could have made this all up, much less Seymour Hersh, who's a reporter, not a novelist. So stick with me here, okay? Two of the pipelines, which were known collectively as Nord Stream 1, had been providing Germany and much of Western Europe with cheap Russian natural gas for more than a decade. A second pair of pipelines called Nord Stream 2 had been built but were not yet operational. Now, with Russian troops massing on the Ukrainian border in the bloodiest war in Europe since 1945 looming, Joe Biden, see, I'm not going to call him president. The article does, but I'm not going to. Joe Biden saw the pipelines as a vehicle for Vladimir Putin to weaponize natural gas for his political and territorial ambitions. Asked for comment, Adrian Watson, a White House spokesperson, said in an email, this is false and complete fiction. Tammy Thorpe, a spokesperson for the Central Intelligence Agency, otherwise known as the CIA, similarly wrote, this claim is completely and utterly false. Biden's decision to sabotage the pipelines came after more than nine months of highly secret back-and-forth debate inside Washington's national security community about how to best achieve that goal. For much of that time, the issue was not whether to do the mission, but how to get it done with no overt clue as to who was responsible. Well, the problem with that is Biden had already said they're going to do it. Victoria Nuland had already said they're going to do it. So doing it with no overt clue as who was responsible? Uh Uh-oh, somebody goofed that up before they even got started. But I digress. Seymour Hirsch says there was a vital bureaucratic reason for relying on the graduates of the center's hardcore diving school in Panama City to get this thing done. Again, Panama City, Florida. And we're going to tell you what that vital bureaucratic reason was for relying on the graduates of the U.S. Navy Center's hardcore diving school in Panama City Beach in just a moment. That's coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. All right. We share with the news recently of AT&T's DirecTV getting rid of Newsmax with no notice after they got rid of One American News last year. And people were like, well, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. People are saying, okay, well, I'm going to get rid of uh, DirecTV then. Oh, they're owned by AT&T? Okay, well, I, I want to stop giving AT&T my, uh, my money on my monthly cell phone bill. So people are starting to look around for options. Let me tell you the best option. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier, now more than ever. It's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. 
Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage. It uses the same towers the main carriers use, and they have a coverage guarantee for you, their customer. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving money. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT and make sure... You use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. PatriotMobile.com or just call 972-PATRIOT. All right, it is always an honor and a blessing for me to share with you America's best-kept secret in healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? How about dizziness or vertigo? Do you have issues with your blood sugar? How about fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis? Do you have bad migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Now, if you're thinking, Doc, what on earth do these different maladies have to do with each other? Let me explain. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1, which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas or C1 to get out of alignment. If it does get out of alignment, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it's never come back. Crazy, huh? I had bad migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the migraines went away, and they didn't come back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines... Do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas and thinking, man, that sounds like something I need to check into, You're right, you do. Go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Now, I've been talking about how the world's going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. 
We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, I'll tell you, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of patron influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Now, an even more exciting addition to SwitchToAmerica.com is fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the mountains of Montana, near Yellowstone, this beef is known as never, ever, never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members, and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to SwitchToAmerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn. Plug in your information, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. SwitchToAmerica.com. Where we left off... Seymour Hersh's article at Substack, How America Took Out the Nord Stream. He said there was a vital bureaucratic reason for relying on the graduates of the United States Navy's Center Hardcore Diving School, Panama City Beach, Florida. The divers were Navy only and not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress and briefed in advance to the Senate and House leadership, the so-called Gang of Eight. Now, the Gang of Eight, a lot of people don't know who they are. For this Congress, the 118th that just was recently impaneled, The Gang of Eight are going to be Majority Leader and Minority Leader of the U.S. Senate, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, respectively. Speaker of the House and Minority Leader in the U.S. House, Kevin McCarthy and Hakeem Jeffries, respectively. The Chair and Ranking Member of the U.S. Senate 
Committee on Intelligence, Mark Warner and Marco Rubio, respectively, and the chair and ranking member of the U.S. House Committee on Intelligence, the chair, Michael Turner, Republican of Ohio, the ranking member, uh, Jim Himes, the Democrat from Connecticut. So what Seymour Hirsch is saying here is that if there was going to be some kind of operation by America's Special Operations Command, their covert operations, they're going to be covert. They're not going to tell everybody in Congress, they're not going to go to the media, but they got to tell those eight, eight people right there, okay? But if you're just using Navy divers, you don't. You don't have to tell these people. Even McConnell and Schumer don't find out. You, you see where we're going here? So Seymour Hersh says the Biden administration was doing everything possible to avoid leaks as the planning took place late in 2021 and into the first months of 2022. Joe Biden and his foreign policy team, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, and Undersecretary of State for Policy Victoria Newland or there's a brain trust, had already been vocal and consistent in their hostility to the two pipelines which ran side-by-side for 750 miles under the Baltic Sea from two different ports in northeastern Russia near the Estonian border, passing close to the Danish island of Bornholm before ending in northern Germany. The direct route, which bypassed Any need to transit Ukraine had been a boon for the German economy, which enjoyed an abundance of cheap Russian natural gas, enough to run its factories and heat its homes, while enabling German distributors to sell excess gas at a profit throughout Western Europe. Now, action that can be traced to the Biden administration would violate U.S. promises to minimize direct Conflict with Russia. So secrecy was essential. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Violate U.S. promises to minimize direct conflict with Russia. You know, it's almost like we had signed agreements, right? And we're like, well, forget that. Forget what we signed. We're going to do it anyway. But I digress. From its earliest days, Nord Stream 1 was seen by Russia and its anti-Russian NATO partners as a threat to Western dominance. The holding company behind it, Nord Stream AG, was actually incorporated in Switzerland in 2005 in partnership with Gazprom, a publicly traded Russian company, producing enormous profits for shareholders, which is dominated by oligarchs known to be in the thrall of Vladimir Putin. Gazprom controlled 51% of the company, with four European energy firms, one in France, one in the Netherlands, and two in Germany, sharing the remaining 49% of the stock and having the right to control downstream sales of the inexpensive natural gas to local distributors in Germany and Western Europe. Gazprom's profits were shared, and state gas and oil revenues were estimated in some years 
to amount to as much as 45% of Russia's annual budget. America's political fears were real. Okay, Putin would now have an additional and much-needed major source of income, and Germany and the rest of Western Europe will become addicted to low-cost natural gas supplied by Russia while diminishing European reliance on America. In fact, that's exactly what happened. Many Germans saw Nord Stream 1 as part of the deliverance of former German Chancellor Willy Brandt's famed Ostpolitik theory, which would enable post-war Germany to rehabilitate itself and other European nations destroyed by World War II by, among other initiatives, utilizing cheap Russian gas to fuel a prosperous Western European market and trading economy. All right. Nord Stream 1 was dangerous enough in the view of NATO and Washington, but Nord Stream 2, whose construction was completed in September 2021, would, if approved by German regulators, double the amount of cheap gas that would be available to Germany and Western Europe. The second pipeline also would provide enough gas for more than 50% of Germany's annual consumption. Tensions were constantly escalating between Russia and NATO, backed by the aggressive foreign policy of the Biden administration. Opposition to Nord Stream 2 flared on the eve of the Biden inauguration, January 2021, when Senate Republicans, led by Ted Cruz of Texas, repeatedly raised the political threat of cheap Russian natural gas during the confirmation hearing of Anthony Blinken as Secretary of State. By then, a unified Senate had successfully passed a law that, as Cruz told Blinken, halted the pipeline in its tracks. There would be enormous political and economic pressure from the German government, then headed by Angela Merkel, to get the second pipeline online, though. So, the question was, would Joe Biden stand up to the Germans? Anthony Blinken said yes, but he added that he had not discussed the specifics on the incoming residents' views. I'm not going to call him president, but I digress. Blinken said, I know his strong conviction that this is a bad idea, the Nord Stream 2. I know that he would have us use every persuasive tool that we have to convince our friends and partners, including Germany, not to move forward with it. A few months later, as the construction of the second pipeline neared completion, Biden blinked. That May, in a stunning turnaround, the administration waived sanctions against Nord Stream AG with a State Department official conceding that trying to stop the pipeline through sanctions and diplomacy had always been a long shot. Behind the scenes, administration officials reportedly urged Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, by then facing a threat of Russian invasion, not to criticize the move. Okay, can I just say something here? Here's what I understand. The Democrats and Republicans in Washington, from Joe Biden to Ted Cruz, don't want Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 providing cheap 
natural gas from Russia to Germany and the West and the rest of Western Europe because they see that as uh, somehow a threat to us if Russia's making money. Okay, here's what doesn't make sense to me. If Germany and the rest of Western Europe has cheap natural gas, that's going to be very good for their economies, right? It's going to be very good for the economy of Germany, the economy of France, the economy of Spain, Holland, Belgium, Italy, Poland, Romania, Denmark. Okay, so if their economies are booming, it looks to me like American entrepreneurs, American corporations, folks like McDonald's, Burger King, whoever, would say, hey, economy's booming Western Europe. Let's go over there and open some restaurants. You know? Let's go over there and be entrepreneurs as, you know, Americans and make hay while the sun shines, make a lot of money in Western Europe where the economy's booming. Seems like it would be a good thing for America. The way I look at it, I mean, is that so crazy? Well, apparently, if you got Joe Biden and Ted Cruz on the same page, apparently I'm the crazy one. But I don't think I am. So anyway, when Biden blinks and when they say, yeah, okay, we're going to waive the sanctions against Nord Stream and let them go ahead and do whatever they want to do. Because I digress there for a minute. Seymour Hirsch says there were immediate consequences. Senate Republicans led by Ted Cruz announced an immediate blockade of all of Joe Biden's foreign policy nominees and delayed passage of the annual defense bill for months deep into the fall of 2021. Politico later depicted Biden's turnabout on the second Russian pipeline as the one decision, arguably more than the chaotic military withdrawal from Afghanistan, that has imperiled Biden's agenda. The administration was floundering, despite getting a reprieve on the crisis in mid-November 2021, when Germany's energy regulators suspended approval of the second Nord Stream pipeline, natural gas prices surged 8% within days amid growing fears in Germany and Russia that the pipeline suspension and the growing possibility of a war between Russia and Ukraine would lead to a very much unwanted cold winter. It was not clear to Washington just where Olaf Scholz Germany's newly appointed chancellor stood. Months earlier, after the fall of Afghanistan, Schultz had publicly endorsed French President Emmanuel Macron's call for a more autonomous European foreign policy in a speech in Prague, clearly suggesting less reliance on Washington and Washington's mercurial actions. Throughout all of this, Russian troops have been steadily and ominously building up on the borders of Ukraine, 
and by the end of December, more than 100,000 soldiers were in position to strike from Belarus and Crimea. Alarm was growing in Washington, including an assessment from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken that those troop numbers could be doubled in short order. The administration's attention, once again, was focused on Nord Stream. As long as Europe remained dependent on the pipelines for cheap natural gas, Washington was afraid that countries like Germany would be reluctant to supply Ukraine with the money and weapons it needed to defeat Russia. It was at this unsettled moment that Biden authorized Jake Sullivan to bring together an interagency group to come up with a plan. All options were to be on the table, but only one would emerge. In December 2021, two months before the first Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine, Jake Sullivan convened a meeting of a newly formed task force, men and women from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the CIA, and the State and Treasury Departments, and asked for recommendations about how to respond to Putin's impending invasion. It would be the first of a series of top-secret meetings in a secure room on a top floor of the old executive office building adjacent to the White House that was also the home of Biden's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board, the PFIAB. There was the usual back-and-forth chatter that eventually led to a crucial preliminary question. Here it is. Would the recommendation forward by the group, forwarded by the group to the president be reversible, such as another layer of sanctions and currency restrictions, or irreversible, that is, kinetic actions which could not be undone? If you catch my drift. What became clear to participants according to the source, with direct knowledge of the process. Is that Jake Sullivan intended for the group to come up with a plan for the destruction of the two Nord Stream pipelines and that he was delivering on the desires of the president? Now again, his words, not mine. Over the next several meetings, the participants debated options for an attack. The Navy proposed using a newly commissioned submarine to assault the pipeline directly. The Air Force discussed dropping bombs with delayed fuses that could be set off remotely. The CIA argued that whatever was done, it would have to be covert. Everyone involved understood the stakes. The source said, this is not kitty stuff. If the attack were traceable to the United States, it's an act of war. See, that's what I'm sitting here thinking the whole time. This is an act of war. Why do we want to go to war with a nuclear power? The best and the brightest, my elbow, these people are insane. But I digress. At the time, the CIA was directed by William Burns, a mild-mannered former ambassador to Russia who had served as Deputy Secretary of State in the Obama administration. Burns quickly authorized an agency working group whose ad hoc members included, by chance, someone who was familiar with the capabilities of the Navy's deep-sea divers in Panama City Beach, Florida. Over the next 
few weeks. Members of the CIA's working group began to craft a plan for a covert operation that would use deep-sea divers to trigger an explosion along the pipeline. Now, something like this had been done before. In 1971, the American intelligence community learned from still undisclosed sources that two important units of the Russian Navy were communicating via an undersea cable buried in the Sea of Okhotsk on Russia's far east coast. The cable linked a regional a regional Navy command to the mainland headquarters of Vladivostok, Russia. A hand-picked team of Central Intelligence Agency and National Security Agency operatives was assembled somewhere in the Washington area under deep cover and worked out a plan using Navy divers, modified submarines, and a deep submarine rescue vehicle that succeeded after much trial and error in locating the Russian cable. Back in 1971, the divers planted a sophisticated listening device on the cable that successfully intercepted the Russian traffic and recorded it on a taping system. The NSA learned that senior Russian Navy officers convinced of the security of their communication link chatted away with their peers without encryption. The recording device and its tape had to be replaced monthly and the project rolled on merrily for a decade until it was compromised by a 44-year-old civilian NSA technician named Ronald Pelton, who was fluent in Russian. Pelton was betrayed by a Russian defector in 1985 and sentenced to prison. He was paid just $5,000 by the Russians for his revelations about the operation, along with 35000 for other Russian operational data he provided that was never made public. The underwater success, codenamed Ivy Bells, was innovative and risky and produced invaluable intelligence about the Russian Navy's intentions and planning. Still, the interagency group was initially skeptical of the CIA's enthusiasm for a covert deep-sea attack in 2022. There were too many unanswered questions. The waters of the Baltic Sea were heavily patrolled by the Russian Navy, and there were no oil rigs that could be used as cover for a diving operation. Would the divers have to go to Estonia right across the border from Russia's natural gas loading docks to train for the mission? The agency was told it would be a blank, the blank, blank, blank. I just, I'm sorry, I'm not going to curse. Seymour Hersh's source said, throughout all of this scheming, some working guys in the CIA and the State Department were saying, don't do this, it's stupid, it will be a political nightmare if it comes out. Don't do it. Nevertheless, in early 2022, the CIA working group reported back to Jake Sullivan's interagency group saying, we have a way to blow up the pipelines. Now, if I may digress for just a moment, who remembers Robert Gates? 
I want to see how a show of hands. Who remembers Robert Gates? Robert Gates was the 22nd United States Secretary of Defense from December 2006 under George W. Bush through June 2011 under Barack Obama. Now, who remembers what Robert Gates said about Joe Biden? Robert Gates, as Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama, said about Barack Obama's then-Vice President Joe Biden, he's been wrong on every major foreign policy issue for 40 years. Now, now, why am I reminded of that? Why am I reminded of that? Because Joe Biden thought it was a good idea to blow up the Russian uh, gas and oil pipeline and warn everybody we're going to do it, right? And have this uh, knucklehead that works for him. Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland, also warned everybody we were going to do it. And then when we did it a few months later, to deny that we did it. I mean, but I digress. So Seymour Hersh says, nevertheless, in early 2022, despite all of the warnings, the CIA working group reported back to Jake Sullivan's interagency group, we have a way to blow up the pipelines. What came next was stunning. On February 7th, 2022, less than three weeks before the seemingly inevitable Russian invasion of Ukraine, Biden met in his White House office with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who after some wobbling was now firmly on the American team. At the press briefing that followed, Biden defiantly said, if Russia invades, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it. You know, that sounds uh, amazingly like the audio I played for you a little bit earlier. Just in case you forgot. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But, do, but how, will you, how will you do that exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do that. Now again, he's got dementia. Well, you can't blame it all on dementia. Anthony Blinken doesn't have dementia. Jake Sullivan doesn't have dementia. Victoria Newland doesn't have dementia. They're just world-class stupid, all of them. And Biden always has been. Dumb as a stump. Dumb as a stump. I'm going to promise you what we're going to do. And then when we do it, an act of war, I'm going to say, no, we didn't do that. Oh, well, Seymour Hersh has, uh, has Newland too. But I digress. Seymour Hersh says, 20 days earlier, Undersecretary Newland had delivered essentially the same message at a State Department briefing with little press coverage. 
In response to a question, she said, I want to be very clear to you today. If Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Boy, that sounds familiar. That sounds kind of like something I had uh, a few moments ago. Um, with regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. And I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Wow. Yeah, Victoria Newland, she never saw a war she didn't like. So, but once again, I digress. So, back to Seymour Hirsch and his article at Substack, How America Took Out the Nord Stream. Several of those involved in planning the pipeline mission were dismayed by what they viewed as indirect references to the attack. Seymour Hirsch's source said, It was like putting an atomic bomb on the ground in Tokyo and telling the Japanese that we are going to detonate it. The plan was for the options to be executed post-invasion and not advertised publicly. Biden simply didn't get it or ignored it. Hey, 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 let me remind you. Let me remind you. When we took out bin Laden and Robert Gates, Robert Gates immediately said publicly, please, I'm begging everybody in the government, we don't want any publicity on how we did this. And almost immediately, Joe Biden, his own bad self, was all over the news saying, Hey, congratulations, SEAL Team 6. Boy, you guys are great. Thank you, SEAL Team 6, for taking out Osama bin Laden. And it wasn't too long after that that the Taliban shot down a Boeing CH-470 Chinook helicopter of a Bagram, Afghanistan, killing 38 people the overwhelming majority of whom were SEAL Team 6. As soon as Joe Biden started crowing about how wonderful SEAL Team 6 was for taking out Osama bin Laden, guys on SEAL Team 6 started contacting their families back home in the U.S. saying, look, I'm not going to live too much longer. I want to get my affairs in order. No, I, I interviewed. I interviewed a set of parents and one of the guys that was taken down. Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, please, I'm begging everybody in the administration not to publicize how we did it. Almost immediately, Joe Biden's like, it's SEAL Team 6. That's how we did it. Hey, congratulations, guys. And they're like, hey, thanks a lot, Dementia Joe. Well, he wasn't Dementia Joe then. It was just evil. Thanks a lot, Joe. You just put uh, targets on our backs. You just signed our death sentence, Joe. Great, man. Great. 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 Just great. So Seymour Hersh's source is saying, well, you know what? Biden did it again. Let me go back over these 
four sentences I just shared with you. Because, once again, I digress. Several of those involved in planning the pipeline mission were dismayed by what they viewed as indirect references to the attack. I don't think they were that indirect. The source said it was like putting an atomic bomb on the ground in Tokyo and telling the Japanese that we're going to detonate it. The plan was for the options to be executed post-invasion, you know, after Russia invades Ukraine, and not advertised publicly. Biden simply didn't get it or ignored it. In other words, Biden wanted to publicize it. Seymour Hirsch says, Biden's and Newland's indiscretion, if that is what it was, might have frustrated some of the planners, but it also created an opportunity. According to the source, some of the senior officials of the CIA determined that blowing up the pipeline no longer could be considered a covert option because the president just announced that we knew how to do it. Wait, what? The plan to blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2 was suddenly downgraded from a covert operation requiring a Congress be informed to one that was deemed as a highly classified intelligence operation with U.S. military support. Under the law, the source explained, there's no longer a legal requirement to report the operation to Congress. All they had to do now is just do it, but it still had to be secret. The Russians have superlative surveillance of the Baltic Sea. So the agency working group members had no direct contact with the White House and were eager to find out if Biden meant what he'd said, that is, if the mission was now a go. The source recalls Bill Burns comes back and says, do it. Imagine the level of perfidy. William Burns, mild-mannered former ambassador to Russia who had served as Deputy Secretary of State in the Obama administration, now the CIA director. So CIA director William Burns goes and talks to uh, Biden, comes back and says, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, do it. Seymour Hirsch says, Norway was the perfect place to base the mission. In the past few years of East-West crisis, the U.S. military has vastly expanded its presence inside Norway, whose western border runs 1,400 miles along the North Atlantic Ocean and merges above the Arctic Circle with Russia. The Pentagon has created high-paying jobs and contracts amid some local controversy by investing hundreds of millions of dollars to upgrade and expand American Navy and Air Force facilities in Norway. The new works included, most importantly, an advanced synthetic aperture radar far up north that was capable of penetrating deep into Russia and came online just as the American intelligence community lost access to a series of long-range listening sites inside China. A newly refurbished American submarine base, which had been under construction for years, had become operational, and more American submarines were now able to work closely with their Norwegian colleagues to monitor and spy on a major Russian nuclear redoubt 250 miles to the east on the Kola Peninsula. 
America also has vastly expanded a Norwegian air base in the north and delivered to the Norwegian Air Force a fleet of Boeing-built P-8 Poseidon patrol planes to bolster its long-range spying on all things Russia. In return, the Norwegian government angered liberals and some moderates in its parliament last November by passing the Supplementary Defense Cooperation Agreement Under the New Deal, the U.S. legal system would have jurisdiction in certain agreed areas in the North over American soldiers accused of crimes off base as well as over those Norwegian citizens accused or suspected of interfering with the work at the base. Norway was one of the original signatories of the NATO Treaty in 1949 in the early days of the Cold War. Today, the supreme commander of NATO is Jens Stoltenberg, a committed anti-communist who served as Norway's prime minister for eight years before moving to his high NATO post with American backing in 2014. He was a hardliner in all things Putin and Russia who had cooperated with the American intelligence community since the Vietnam War. He has been trusted completely since then. The source said he is the glove that fits the American hand. Back in Washington, planners knew they had to go to Norway. Seymour Hersh's source says they hated the Russians, and the Norwegian Navy was full of superb sailors and divers who had generations of experience in highly profitable deep-sea oil and gas exploration. They also could be trusted to keep the mission secret. The Norwegians may have had other interests as well. The destruction of Nord Stream, if the Americans could pull it off, would allow Norway to sell vastly more of its own natural gas to the rest of Europe. Sometime in March 2022, a few members of the team flew to Norway to meet with the Norwegian Secret Service and Navy. One of the key questions was where exactly in the Baltic Sea was the best place to plant the explosives. Nord Stream 1 and 2, each with two sets of pipelines, were separated much of the way by little more than a mile as they made their run to the port of Greifswald in the far northeast of Germany. The Norwegian Navy was quick to find the right spot in the shallow waters of the Baltic Sea. A few miles off Denmark's Bornholm Island, the pipelines ran more than a mile apart along a seafloor that was only 260 feet deep. That would be well within the range of the divers who, operating from a Norwegian Alta-class mine hunter, would dive with a mixture of oxygen, nitrogen, and helium streaming from their tanks and plant shaped C4 charges on the four pipelines with concrete protective covers. It would be tedious, time-consuming, and dangerous work, but the waters off Bornholm had another advantage There were no major tidal currents, which would have made the task of diving much more difficult. Now, do you see what I was saying earlier about the fact that regardless of the fact Seymour Hersh has an anonymous source, this has to be true. This is way too detailed for anybody to have been able to make it up. How could you possibly write a work of fiction this detailed? But I digress. After a bit of research, the Americans were all in. At this point, the Navy's obscure 
deep diving group in Panama City Beach, Florida, once again came into play. The deep sea schools of Panama City Beach, whose trainees participated in Ivy Bells, are seen as an unwanted backwater by the elite graduates of the Naval Academy in Annapolis, who typically seek the glory of being assigned as a SEAL, fighter pilot, or submariner. If one must become a so-called black shoe, that is, a member of the less desirable surface ship command, there's always at least duty on a destroyer, cruiser, or amphibious ship. The least glamorous of all is mine warfare. Its divers never appear in Hollywood movies or on the cover of popular magazines. Seymour Hersh's source said, The best divers with deep diving qualifications are a tight community, and only the very best are recruited for the operation and told to be prepared to be summoned to the CIA in Washington. So the Norwegians and Americans had a location, and the operatives. But there was another concern. Any unusual underwater activity in the waters off Bornholm Island might draw the attention of the Swedish or Danish navies, which could report it. Denmark had also been one of the original NATO signatories and was known in the intelligence community for its special ties to the United Kingdom. Sweden had applied for membership into NATO and had demonstrated its great skill in managing its underwater sound and magnetic sensor systems that successfully tracked Russian submarines that would occasionally show up in remote waters off the Swedish archipelago and be forced to the surface. The Norwegians joined the Americans in assisting that some senior officials in Denmark and Sweden had to be briefed in general terms about possible diving activity in the area. And that way, someone higher up could intervene and keep a report out of the chain of command, thus insulating the pipeline operations. Seymour Hersh's source told him what they were told and what they knew were purposely different. The Norwegian embassy asked to comment on the story, of course, did not respond. The Norwegians were key to solving other hurdles. The Russian Navy was known to possess surveillance technology capable of spotting and triggering underwater mines. The American explosive devices needed to be camouflaged in a way that would make them appear to the Russian system as part of the natural background something that required adapting to the specific salinity of the water. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. How much saline is in that salt water? The Norwegians had a fix. The Norwegians also had a solution to the crucial question of when the operation should take place. Every June, for the past 21 years, the American 6th Fleet, whose flagship is based in Gaeta, Italy, south of Rome, has sponsored a major NATO exercise in the Baltic Sea involving scores of Allied ships throughout the region. 
The current exercise held in June would be known as Baltic Operations 22, or Baltops 22. In other words, the 22nd in a row. The Norwegians proposed this would be the ideal cover to plant the mines. The Americans provided one vital element. They convinced the Sixth Fleet planners to add a research and development exercise to the program. The exercise is made public by the Navy, and he links to a press release by the United States Navy. The exercise is made public by the Navy, involved the Sixth Fleet in collaboration with the Navy's research and warfare centers. The at-sea event will be held off the coast of Bornholm Island and involve NATO teams of divers planting mines with competing teams using the latest underwater technology to fight and destroy the mines. It was both a useful exercise and ingenious cover. The Panama City boys will do their thing, and the C-4 explosives will be in place by the end of Ball Tops 22 with a 48-hour timer attached. All the Americans and Norwegians will be long gone by the time of the first explosion. The days are counting down. Seymour Hersh's source said the clock was ticking and we were nearing mission accomplished. And then Washington had second thoughts. The bombs would still be planted during Ball Tops 22, but the White House worried that a two-day window for the detonation would be too close to the end of the exercise, and it would be obvious that America had been involved. Instead, the White House had a new request. Can the guys in the field come up with some way to blow the pipelines later on command? Some members of the planning team were angered and frustrated by Biden's seeming indecision. The Panama City divers had repeatedly practiced planting the C-4 on pipelines as they would during the Ball Tops 22, but now the team in Norway had to come up with a way to give Biden what he wanted, the ability to issue a successful execution order at a time of his own choosing. Being given the task of an arbitrary last-minute change was something the CIA was accustomed to managing. But it also renewed the concerns some shared over the necessity and legality of the entire operation. Biden's secret orders also evoked the CIA's dilemma in the Vietnam War days. President Johnson, LBJ, confronted by growing anti-Vietnam War sentiment, ordered the CIA to violate its charter, which specifically barred it from operating inside America, by spying on anti-war leaders to determine whether they were being controlled by communist Russia. The agency ultimately acquiesced to, to Johnson, and throughout the 1970s it became clear just how far it had been willing to go. There were subsequent newspaper revelations in the aftermath of the Watergate scandals about the CIA's spying on American citizens, its involvement in the assassination of foreign leaders, and its undermining of the socialist government of Salvador Allende in Chile. Those revelations led to a dramatic series of hearings in the mid-1970s in the U.S. Senate, led by Frank Church of Idaho, 
that made it clear that Richard Helms, director of the CIA at the time, accepted that he had an obligation to do what the president wanted, even if it meant violating the law. In unpublished, closed-door testimony, then-CIA Director Richard Helms ruefully explained that, quote, you almost have an immaculate conception when you do something, unquote, under secret orders from a president. Again, quoting him, whether it's right that you should have it or wrong that you shall have it, the CIA works under different rules and ground rules than any other part of the government, unquote. So, then-CIA Director Richard Helms in 1976 was essentially telling the senators that he, as head of the CIA, understood that he had been working for the crown and not the Constitution. What, as if the president was a, a king? Oh, my goodness. Now, this is fascinating because he testified... I believe he testified after he was already out of office. Yeah, because he was only in office to 1973, and he was testifying. I believe the church committee was in 75, 76, I'm pretty sure. Let me double-check on that. Yeah, 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 75, 76. So, and, and by the way, There's a tie-in here. December 22, 1974, the New York Times published a lengthy article detailing operations engaged in by the CIA over the years that had been dubbed the Family Jewels, covert action programs involving assassination attempts on foreign leaders and covert attempts to subvert foreign governments were reported for the first time. In addition, the article discussed efforts by intelligence agencies to collect information on the political activities of U.S. citizens. And guess who wrote the article on December 22nd, 1974? Seymour Hersh. So everything, everything old is new again and vice versa. So Church Committee 75 and 76, that time, by that time, Richard Helms was former CIA director. And by the way, you know who CIA director was for the last year of Gerald Ford's term? From January 76 to January 77, George H.W. Bush. But anyway, 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 anyway. Let me go back. But I digress. Boy, did I digress. The Americans at work in Norway operated under the same dynamic and dutifully began working on the new problem, how to remotely detonate the C-4 explosives on Biden's order whenever they got it. It was a much more demanding assignment than those in Washington understood. There was no way for the team in Norway to know when Biden might push the button. Would it be in a few weeks, in many months, or in half a year or longer, for that matter? Wow. The C-4 attached to the pipelines would be triggered by a sonar buoy dropped by a plane on short, no- on short notice but the procedure involved the most advanced signal processing technology. Once in place, the delayed timing devices attached to any of the four pipelines could be accidentally triggered by the complex mix of ocean background noises throughout the heavily trafficked Baltic Sea 
from near and distant ships, underwater drilling, seismic events, waves, and even sea creatures. To avoid this, the sonar buoy, once in place, would emit a sequence of unique low-frequency tonal sounds, much like those emitted by a flute or a piano that will be recognized by the timing device and after preset hours of delay trigger the explosives. Seymour Hirsch said the Dr. Theodore Postal, professor emeritus of science, technology, and national security policy at MIT, told him, you want a signal that is robust enough so that no other signal could accidentally send a pulse that detonated the explosives. Dr. Postal, who has served as a science advisor to the Pentagon's chief of naval operations, said the issue facing the group in Norway because of Biden's delay was one of chance. The longer the explosives are in the water, the greater the risk there would be of a random signal that would launch the bombs. On September 26, 2022, a Norwegian Navy P-8 surveillance plane made a seemingly routine flight and dropped a sonar buoy. You know, B-U-O-Y. The signal spread underwater, initially to Nord Stream 2 and then on to Nord Stream 1. A few hours later, the high-powered C-4 explosives were triggered and three of the four pipelines were put out of commission. Within a few minutes, pools of methane gas that remained in the shuttered pipelines could be seen spreading on the water's surface, and the world learned that something irreversible had taken place. Where's where's Greta Thunberg when you need her? I mean, that, that sounds like kind of poisoning the environment to me. You know what I'm saying? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that Joe Biden was one of these uh, tree-hugging environmental nuts, you know, or or at least, at least, was somebody who played to them. So intentionally spoiling the environment then? That that just doesn't sit well with us, does it? Ain't it right, Greta? How dare you? Well, see, that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. So they blew up the pipelines in the Baltic Sea and... had all this methane gas going all over the place in uh, previously pristine waters. That reminds me of the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska back in the day. I mean, no wonder. No wonder Greta's upset. Shouldn't we all be? How dare you? Yeah, exactly. But I digress. Seymour Hirsch continues, in the immediate aftermath of the pipeline bombing, the American media treated it like an unsolved mystery. Russia 
was repeatedly cited as a likely culprit, spurred on by calculated leaks from the White House, but without ever establishing a clear motive for such an act of self-sabotage beyond simple retribution. A few months later, when it emerged that Russian authorities had been quietly getting estimates for the cost to repair the pipelines, the New York Times, of all places, described that news as complicating theories about who was behind the attack. No major American newspaper dug into the earlier threats to the pipelines made publicly by Biden and Undersecretary of State Victoria Newland. Nobody. They didn't want to know about it. But I digress. While it was never clear why Russia would seek to destroy its own lucrative pipeline, a more telling rationale for Biden's action came from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Asked at a press conference last September about the consequences of the worsening energy crisis in Western Europe, Blinken described the moment as a potentially good one. Here's the quote. It's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus to take away from Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing his imperial designs. That's very significant, and that offers tremendous strategic opportunity for the years to come. But meanwhile... We're determined to do everything we possibly can to make sure the consequences of all of this are not borne by citizens in our countries or, for that matter, around the world. More recently, Victoria Newland expressed satisfaction at the demise of the newest of the pipelines. Testifying at a Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing in late January, she told Senator Ted Cruz, Like you, I am... And I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. Now, Seymour Hersh's source had a much more streetwise view of Biden's decision to sabotage more than 1,500 miles of pipeline owned by the Russian energy company Gazprom as winter approached. Speaking of Biden, he said, well, I got to admit, the guy has a pair of blank. He said he was going to do it, and he did. Asked why he thought the Russians failed to respond, he said cynically, maybe they want the capability to do the same things the U.S. did. He said it was a beautiful cover story. Behind it, was a covert operation that placed experts in the field and equipment that operated on a covert signal. The only flaw was the decision to actually do it. Oh, man. So, what, what, what? that's the end of the article. Over at uh, seymourhirsch.substack.com. Looks like it's his first article, dated February 8th this year, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. And again, Seymour Hirsch was a, he's 85 years old. He was a New York Times um, journalist for what, about 50 years. 
American investigative journalist. Won the Polk Award, won the Pulitzer Prize, won the George Orwell Award. Goodness. So, he was with them for a long time. So now that he's... Now, don't don't think that this went unnoticed by Russia or anybody else in the world. Now that he's out of this thing, what does it mean? I mean, I think Putin is showing great restraint that he hasn't hit back at us, but uh, I would expect that he would, wouldn't you? And that's not a good thing. We don't need to be in a war. That's just insane. We don't need to be in a war. And yet, this bunch of clowns that are running thing in Washington, oh, they uh, they definitely want to make sure. Definitely want to make sure that we're in a war. With a nuclear power. Now, if you can tell me how that makes sense, go for it. Because it certainly doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. All right. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. So today's Tweet of the Day comes from a guy who goes by um, ALX over on Twitter. He was banned in 2020, freed by Elon Musk in 2022. And he's got the opening statement from Congressman Jim Jordan in the first meeting of the Weaponization of the Federal Government Committee hearing. Okay, so here is good old Jim Jordan. Let's hear what he has to say. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27th, 2022, 
another FBI whistleblower, discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is deliberately manipulating January 6th case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent, and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. And this is just the FBI. We'll have more in the next episode of the Doc Washburn Show. Speaking of which, you've been listening to episode 340 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode, of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Thursday, February 9th, 2023.